0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another episode of Time Out with Tony, your host, Tony. Episode 33, ladies and gentlemen, today's episode, we are going to be reviewing the highly acclaimed, highly influential and classic hip hop album, The Chronic by Dr. Dre. Now, why am I doing this at such a random time? Well, it's 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 easy. I I'm just um the album was re released on streaming format and, and well I've been bumping it lately and I just gotta say I it, it's one of the greatest albums to probably have ever been. While a lot of the lyrical content is a bit misogynistic, um, you could argue that the production is highly influential and s- extremely revolutionary. So overall, it's just one, it's just an album that you have to hear, especially if you love rap. It doesn't matter if you're like, oh, oh, me. no, it does. It doesn't fucking matter, dude. Hear a beat from this album and and you're going to be, you will. Actually, you know what? No, it has to be basic. Yeah, they got to have that basic snare clap for it to be bumping in. This album just doesn't have that. Never mind. I'm sorry. Uh, What was I saying? Mm, right. So today's episode, The Chronic. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to take a quick minute and thank you guys all so much for the support. It means a lot, really. So spread the word. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your, brother, tell your sister. Tell everybody. And follow us on our Instagram. At timeout underscore with underscore Tony podcast. New episodes every Wednesdays and Saturdays. Anyways. So, yeah. Today's episode, The Chronic, it's by far one of my favorite albums. It's one of the very few albums I listened to growing up in my tween years. And it's just... It's an album that you don't need to love hip-hop to know, hey, that is a classic right there. Alright? Just by hearing one song or two from this album, you'll be like, oh, yep, this was a bop back in the day. And um yeah oh uh, that's that's all i have to say for it right now so i'm just gonna jump straight so we're just gonna jump straight into the episode without further ado ladies and gentlemen sit back relax and crack open a beer or soda and or water and or light up the chronic ladies and gentlemen because this is the chronic by dr dre Okay, so for those of you new to the podcast, yes, we actually do album reviews. Um it's actually been a minute since I've done them. So, I'm back at it again. Why would I Oh shit. Why would I do such a thing? Well, because I Sorry. I don't know why I said it earlier, but the album was put back on streaming platforms and it's um what was I going to say? And it's something I just wanted to review. I wanted to be to review an album for for a while now. And what do you know? This just happens to fall into my lap. So there's that. Anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just jump straight into it. For those of you that do not know, The Chronic is the debut studio album by hip-hop producer and rapper Dr. Dre, released on December. 15th 1992 by his then record label death row records and distributed in partnership uh, by uh interscope records recording sessions for the album took place during the later half of 1992 at the death row studios in la and at bernie Grundman mastering studio in hollywood uh the chronic was dr Dre's first solo project after he left the hip-hop group nwa and its label ruthless records over financial disputes Now, for those of you that don't know, N.W.A. was an American hip hop group whose members were among the earliest and most significant popularizers of controversial, sorry, popularizers and controversial figures of the uh, gangster rap subgenre. And the group is widely considered to be uh, one of the greatest and most influential groups in the history of hip hop music. Yeah, so Dr. J was a part of that. He was a producer for the group and he also contributed vocals throughout the song, uh, the songs. Um, but mostly worked as a producer for the group. Now, in the early 90s he left the group over financial disputes, so the album actually includes a lot of ruthless, sorry, a lot of insults towards the Ruthless label and its owner and former NWA member Eazy-E. The album also features many appearances by a then 20-year-old rapper Snoop Dogg who would use the the album as a launch pad for his own solo career. Now, the title derives from a slang term of high-grade cannabis, and its cover is an homage to the ZigZag Rolling Papers. The album was a commercial success, reaching number three on the Billboard 200, and has since gone on to be certified three times platinum, with sales of three million copies in the U.S. alone. This would go on to make Dre one of the best-selling artists of 1993. The chronic would spend 8 months in the Billboard top 10. The album's three singles became top 10 singles with Nothing But a G G-Thang hitting number 2 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 1 on the ha- sorry, Hot Rap Singles charts. The production on the album will popularize the jubs uh, sorry, the G-funk subgenre within gangster rap and since then it's Been regarded as one of the most important and influential albums in the 1990s, and one of the best-produced hip-hop albums. In 2019, the album was selected by Library Con sorry by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry as quote culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant end quote. Um. Now, what was I gonna say? Now, before I actually you know break the album part down. Sorry, track for track, I want to kind of you know take a little look at the background of the album, the story behind it, because believe it or not, it's actually quite um it's actually quite interesting. So let me take you back to the nineteen eighties, late nineteen eighties, if I'm going to gonna be exact. So as I said before, N.W.A. Dr. Dre, he was a part of that group, and they in nineteen eighty nine, one of their members, um, someone who I'm very sure you are all familiar with, Ice Cube. Left the group over financial disputes, and and so it would it would it wouldn't be the only one. Dr. Dre throughout 1990 and 1991 would just you know constantly go back and forth with Eazy-E and the band's manager Jerry Heller over uh, financial problems, and um, it's around this time that him and an and an associate of his. Uh, I'm pretty sure you from, some of you people may be familiar with his name, Shug Knight. Now, why does that name sound familiar? Well, uh, he's basically what most considered the boogeyman of hip-hop, if you will. And in the 90s, he was just a very powerful figure in hip-hop. In the early 90s, that wasn't the case. Um, at the time, he was just bodyguarding guarding for Dre and around that time, the two just kind of conspired to make their own label. But before that could happen, Dre needed to be dropped from Ruthless. So, as the legend has it, it said that Suge Knight, without telling Dr. Dre, went to Eazy-E with a piece of paper um, that had the home address of his own mother. Of his mother. Sorry. Of Easy's mother, if you will. And... It said that after he showed him this piece of paper, he immediately dropped Dr. Dre and another artist, the DOC from Ruthless Records. And after that, Dr. Dre and the DOC uh, would go on to, um, sorry, Shug Knight and Dr. Dre would go on to create Death Row with the DOC joining them as well. Um, and by now, I'm pretty sure we're in the year 1992, something like that. I don't know. Point is, in the early 90s, around this time, Dr. J would become associated with a young 19, sorry, 1920s, I'm messing that up, with a young 19-year-old, 20-year-old Snoop Dogg, who was just a young buck from Long Beach, California. Now, um... I don't even know what I'm going with this. Now Snoop Dogg and his three cousins, Nate Dogg, RBX, and Daz Dillinger, all three who would be go on to have uh successful careers within the uh within the gang uh, gangster rap subgenre. Um all these these four these four people. They all became associated with Dr. Dre after partying one night. And immediately after that, Dr. Dre, it said that he moved them into his recording studio, which also served as his home. um, was really more of a mansion, if you will. Um, so, you know, that's kind of cool. Uh, What was I going to say? Um, Right. So the album doesn't fully include Dre. It's not just Dre's vocals and his own production. No, 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 no. While all the songs were produced by Dr. Dre, um, the album features a lot of appearances from Snoop Dogg and his cousins, the D.O.C. Also makes an appearance on on the album of a female artist that Dr. Dre would discover in the early 90s as well, named the Lady of Rage. Very talented artist, if I will, if I may add, was also featured in the album. Uh, sorry, on the album. Um Death Row artist, Corrupt and Jewel were also featured in uh throughout the album, contributing vocals and uh corrupt mostly I think he was also a composer for the album, if you will. So overall it was just this album was just overall a death row records effort. Um and it was just it's very much different compared to what rappers these days will be putting out like nowadays there's just the team and it's all silent you know there's make it look like it's just the rapper and the rapper them but with this album you could clearly tell that this was just a whole group effort dude like there's a bunch of people all cooped up in a studio listening to this man play with his synthesizer and you know writing vocals and all that kind of shit and i don't know there's just something about there's just something about wishing to be there that just gets me. So, you know, um, there's that. Anyways, um, let's just jump straight into the track, break this shit down track by track. So I'm gonna start off with track one, The Chronic. Now it's a very short two minute song. It's just, um, well, basically an intro, you know, it's just Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre yelling into the fucking mic while a slow west coast hardcore beat plays in the background um yeah it's rude. it's it's just like an intro you know 90s albums were are easily very different compared to the albums these days you know I, a lot of the hip-hop albums from the 90s they have like a good two-minute intro where it's just all guys just shouting it out, like, "Yeah, you know what it is, motherfucker." Yeah, Brooklyn in the house, baby. Like, if you listen to Nas's "Elmatic," like, it's 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 um, it's you know short tracks. Anyways, um, yeah, it's all right. Track two, fuck with Dre Day, and Everybody celebrating. Now, this song was actually a diss track aimed towards Eazy and towards uh, uh Tin Dog. A rapper from the East Coast who had written a diss track towards West Coast hip-hop. Now, this is actually sort of not a big major... Well, it's sort of a part of the East Coast versus West Coast hip-hop rivalry, but it's not like it was, you know, a major jab. You know, it's just Snoop Dogg saying Tim Dog could eat a fat dick. But you know, um, yeah, it was mostly a, a diss track aimed towards Easy E, and I would say it kind of, it kind of did some damage, if you will. Because rumors have it that around this time Easy E was planning on dropping a double album. If that's true, I don't know. But um, if he was, I, I I can't, I don't want to say that this song kind of you know fucked him up, but mm, it may have. Strike three, Let Me Ride. Now, ooh, I could say so much about this song, but I won't. I'll just keep it with simple, as simple as this is the epitome of West Coast hip-hop. 90s West Coast hip-hop. You want to hear a song from the West Coast hip-hop 90s scene? This is the song to listen to. It's this one. Nothing else. Just this. Anyways, uh just Dre synthesizer throughout this song is just so makes me want to get high. I'll leave it at that. Um not only that, but his his um his cadence, his flow throughout the throughout the second verse. Just another motherfucking Dre for day wait. Just another Dre for Day. Yeah. That's that's how the song goes. God damn it. Hold up. Just give me a second. I'm trying to look for the lyric. Um, fuck. I can't fucking find it. Um, Just give me one fucking second. Yeah. Okay. So just... His flow and his cadence throughout the song just fucking is fucking nasty. That's all I'm going to say. And when I mean nasty, I don't mean it's fucking horrible. No, it's just nasty. Like, mm, like, yo oh, fire, if you will. Like the second verse is just just another motherfucking day for day. So I'll begin like this. No medallions, dress lock. Sorry. I messed that up. No medallions, dreadlocks, or black fists. It's just that gangster glare with gangster raps. That gangster shit make a of snaps. Oh. You'd have to hear it yourself, ladies and gentlemen. It sounds way much better when you hear Dr. Dre say it. But overall, it's just one and a such, such, uh, uh, I want to say mate. I don't want to say amazing because it sounds like, like, no. Why should I be describing a, a gangster rap song amazing? It's just so gangster. Like this song is just so gangster. Like it's gangster, bro. Anyways, track number four: the day the African Americans took over. Um, that's I, yeah. Track four: the day the African Americans took over. I will say that a lot of these titles, song titles, could be fixed, but um. I'll just I'll just go with this. Yeah, so track four features um it actually features a sort of like a cipher if you will, with Snoop Dogg and RBX doing the chorus. The first verse being from Daz Dillinger, second verse from Dr. Dre, third verse from RBX, and the final verse from Daz Dillinger. Now this song it's 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 well, like I said before, it's sort of like a cypher type type of feel. And that's just what's represented throughout this album a lot. And I like that feel. I like that feel. It's a showcase of death row artists. And it, it's just them talking about their inner city experiences, talking about that gangster shit. I will admit it is. Some of it can be very misogynistic. I don't give a shit about violent lyrics. You could just go ahead, sing about violent lyrics. I'm all for that because... Violence is just something that 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 you're always gonna that people are always gonna be, um. In 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 still no. Violence is just something that it's always gonna be around, you know. It's not something that you you could, well you can inspire it in a person, but through the form of gangster rap, and through this kind of uh bridge, it's just so it's not possible it just just isn't it's just not unless you're a stupid suburban kid by which case then yeah that makes sense but overall it's not it just isn't what the fuck was i talking about again oh right, right 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 so yeah i don't give a shit about violent lyrics i do however give a shit about misogynistic lyrics because that's an actual problem that we can actually fix um misogyny is just kind of like a recurring thing throughout the album and I will admit it it is I'm not saying that I'm just like against misogynistic lyrics I mean yeah sure females can get very um what's the word I'm looking for yes females there are females out there that are um unlikable if you will and as these guys just for some reason experienced a lot of these women in their life, and I guess they have a general understanding that all women are like this, that, and they just have horrible, horrible, horrible role models. Their dads ain't teaching shit. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> I'm fucking up. I'm being racist. I'm being fucked up. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, right, it's not that I'm trying to defend them either, you know. It's just it's it's a front, it's just It's what these guys were raised on, but at the same time, it's something that they could fix. And honestly, I will say it is a little bit difficult to listen and listen to a lot of those, this kind of material, mostly because of Dr. Dre's allegations. Now, I do believe. He has done some of that. He even himself, he himself even admitted it. And it's, it's, it's a weird situation. When you're, when you're next, when you're a spectator, it's a very weird situation. When you're in this situation, you're someone who's enacting the violence or a victim, it's, it's a whole different story. But when you're a spectator and someone listening to the art, it's a little bit difficult. I will say that. And, um, Regardless of how all that shit that is circling in my mind, I do have to say track four is a decent track. <laughs> I we're back on track, baby. Yes, yeah, we're back on track. Ooh, yeah. So despite all this that goes through my mind as I'm listening to this material, you can't help but think all that. But at the end of the day, art is art, and me myself, I myself am not enacting or, um. Embracing this kind of culture to a certain extent. So, yeah. Track five, nothing but a G thing. By far the best track. The second second best track. Let Me Ride's the best. But track five, nothing but a G thing. Second best track. Uh, performed by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. This song is, while track three is the epitome of West Coast hip hop, this song is the epitome of hip hop in general. I'd say a lot of people associate this, associate this song with hip hop. You hear this song play and you're like, "Oh yeah, this is that hip hop shit, this is that rap shit, this is that gangster shit." You know what I'm saying? They associate the song as well with gangster culture, which is I a pro of its own I'll tell you that uh, so yeah overall nothing but a G thing the epitome of hip hop if you will track 6 D's Nuts now the intro is fucking hilarious like mm. <laughs> did you get a call from D's D who He's Nuts ah, ha, ha. No, I'm joking anyways uh, the song so um, again like Uh, actually what it wasn't really, you know what? It's a Dre song featuring Daz Dillinger, if you will. Um, it's overall a really great, uh, uh, funny, not funny song, but overall just it's G shit, if you will. It's G <laughs> shit. It's a cool song. I'll tell you that. Track number seven, Little Ghetto Boy. Um, it, I this song is one of those that's like by Snoop Dogg featuring Dre. Even though it's Andre's album, but that's kind of like the template that this is giving us, be, giving me because the first verse and third verse is from Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre is on the second one, and you got Daz Dillinger and Nate Dogg on the vocals. I gotta say, what I will say is the drum programming on "Little Ghetto Boy" is just so um, relaxing, if you will. It's so. There's honestly no way to describe that drum pattern. It's so badass, if you will. And the track itself somewhat sends out a... Not sends out, but just gives us a... a Damn. Sort of like a darker side, if you will, to, to the... To, to the kind of, to the actions gang members get them uh caused. Sorry, I'm messing this up. It just kind of gives you better insight to the actions and consequences that gang members face. And it's, Um, I want to say it's a powerful message, but I'd rather say it's a powerful insight into into this kind of lifestyle And it if anything, it should be like a, like a message to youngsters who think that this kind of lifestyle is the type of lifestyle they, they should get into. they should uh, um, pursue, if you will. And in a generation where a lot of um, a lot of the kids are thinking that exactly, I feel like this song, uh, to a certain extent age well and it's something that could be used today it's insight we could use today if you will so it's one of my one of my rather favorite songs off the album with such amazing instrument with such an amazing in- instrumental the chords boom boom, mm like amazing and i said like i said before the drum patterns boom ka boom, boom ka, boom, boom ka boom boom ka boom, boom ka, boom, boom ka, boom boom ka, boom, boom, ka boom, boom boom ka and at the end there's just such this amazing flute solo that just just it's it's relaxing it's rela- the, the the an instrument instrument flute instrumental that's just really relaxing and such a cool outro and it's it's songs like these that make you look at Dr. Dre and think, "Damn, this motherfucker making art, bro." You know what I'm saying? So it's it's it's, it's amazing song, cool song, great song. Track number um, what was I saying? Um, track number eight, a African American with a gun. Now this song is performed solely by Dr. Dre. Um, I really like the chorus. I will say, "Who's the man, master plan, up with the motherfucking gun? Who's the man, master plan, up, uh, an N word with the motherfucking gun?" I (laughs) why did I say that? (laughs) Anyways, um, yeah, it's 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 that hardcore West Coast dark, um, dark. Mm. Hardcore lyricism that you just love Or that I love in my personal opinion The type of shit that makes you give a stained face Track number 9, Rat-a-tat-tat Performed by Dr. Dre with the chorus by Snoop Dogg um, I really don't remember much of this song Other than gang violence, I can tell you that um, it's just kind of there. It does, it's it's a song that really doesn't stand out. Stand out. The title does "rat a tat tat," but you know the song itself, it just doesn't really stand out. And I mean, not every song, you know, does goes, you know, ten out of ten with tracks. You know, there's always gonna be one track that's just like, you know, not everyone can, not everything can be a banger, unless it's, unless unless it's like thriller, you know. But other than that, you know, it's 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 somewhat forgettable. Track number ten, the twenty dollars sack pyramid, and now this is actually a skit. Um, I gotta say, I do, I, I I appreciate skits. I love skits, especially in albums by Dr. Dre, and in in Eminem's albums too. Whenever they include like skit interludes, it's just so. Fun. Fucking hilarious because they come up with some of the most weirdest, funniest shit. And I will admit it is dark, but I'm, I'm just someone who just kind of enjoys that kind of humor. It is fucked up and I'm most likely going to hell for it. But uh, it's it's humor. It's funny humor. It's it's. Yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But overall, you know, there's not much to say about that. Track number 11, Lyrical Gangbang. Now, this is actually like the other songs, the uh track, track number four. This is actually sort of like another cypher type of thing. The first verse from the Lady of Rage, second verse from Corrupt, and the third verse from RBX. Now, I really enjoy um the guitar and the drum pattern. Boom, spunk like that bass is just so bam bam, bam. and the the, the the drum too gong, bam, bam, it's just so dark and gritty the guitar is bam, bam 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 it's it's just such a hardcore dark gritty instrumental and then you got the lady of rage and corrupt to two very sorry rbx as well to three very lyrically skilled rappers um especially the lady of rage if, if i do say so uh myself very um not violent but just dark it's dark and while i do admit it is it's not something that everyone will like it's something that i like i fuck with so there's that Track number 12, high powered, short song. It's very short. Uh, it's a verse from RBX. You got Dr. Dre on the intro and Lady of Rage in the background uh, as background vocals. Again, not really much to say about this song other than it's just kind of there. It's only two it's, it's almost three minutes long, but um it's just uh not forgettable, just you know, a song on the album. It's just there. Track 13, The Doctor's Office, a skit. Um, It's it's someone who got, walks into the doctor's office asking to see Dr. Dre, and the assistant's like, I can't uh, uh, let you in right now. He's busy with someone else. And in the background, you could hear someone getting their ass clapped. Not shot at, but, you know, you could hear fucking. Um, yeah, so you could hear people in the background fucking. And I, I, I had to lower the volume while I was listening to this because it's... it's <laughs> Yes, so there's that. Um, it's just it's just someone trying to get into the the doctor's office, and it's so, it's stuck with me be, mostly because of the moaning noises. So, um, it's I wouldn't say it's disturbing. It's just really, dude. I want to listen to this with friends in the car. I can't, you know, do this shit. I can't listen to fuck listen to moaning noises with my friends in the car, like. <laughs> It's it's <laughs> this is what I hate about albums like these. Anyways, track number fourteen, "Stranded on Death Row," and again, like "Lyrical Gangbang" and the other songs, it's another cipher style song with such a dark uh instrumental, like "Lyrical Gangbang," but this one's a little bit more fast tempo, uh, fast tempo, a little bit more bouncy, boom, 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 boom. The baseline for it—it's just so dark and gritty, and it's the loop again. Dark, gritty. St- in the title st- "Stranded on Death Row." It's—it's it's that hardcore shit, you know. They're spitting rhymes that you're just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." The first verse is from Corrupt. Second verse, RBX. Third verse, the Lady of Arth- uh, of Rage. And the final verse is from Snoop Dogg. So as you can see, this song is like star studded, bro. Track 15, The Roach. It's an outro. Um uh, the verses are from RBX. Backing vocals are from Daz Dillinger, The Lady of Rage, and Jewel. Again, I can't actually I actually can't remember much of this song because it feels like a filler. I mean, it does say an outro. So, you know, it's sort of like a most albums back in the nineties, they just kind of had like an outro song where the artist was just like, "Yeah, to my man Chef G, locked up in the clink. To my man Teriyaki, fucking, <laughs> yeah, free my boy Teriyaki." Anyways, um, track sixteen, the last track, "Bitches Ain't Shit." Aside from the misogyny, um, it's so it's. A, so it's, a, it's a gangster classic, I'll tell you that. Bitches uh, shit, butt and tricks. Lick suck dick. Yeah, so that, my friends, is The Chronic. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would have to give The Chronic a. I would probably have to give it a 9.5 out of 10. And here's why. What's stopping me from giving one of the most highly influential albums of all time, A Perfect 10? Well, it's it's really easy, and that would be for some of its lyrical content. Now, you may be wondering yourself, whoa, Tony offended by misogynist con- uh, lyricism? Yes, a li- just, well, not entirely, but to a certain extent, it's just, it, it does bug me. Mostly because a lot of this content just uh just doesn't age well, you know. You say shit in back in the nineties, and people look at it today, and you're like, bro, that does that does that that, that wouldn't <laughs> that doesn't age well, man. Too much shit has happened, uh. So it's like, yeah, that's literally the only thing that's stopping me from giving this a perfect ten would be for the lyricism that just. Some of the lyricism that didn't age well. I'm not saying all of it didn't age well. I'm just saying some lyricism featured on the album just simply didn't age well. And uh, there's that. So um, the production, I will say, fucking amazing. Dr. Dre with the synthesizer just does so many amazing wonders. At the time this uh, the production was seen as innovative and groundbreaking and just received so much acclaim from critics around um it's it's what people say it's a, it's like a mm, they're, they're like par, par, parliament funkadelic beats you know they have they got soulful backing vocals they got live instruments and the rolling bass lines with whiny synths it's just it's it's like that that it's patent, bro. It's that patent G funk sound, you know? Um and it's for the next I don't know, maybe probably for the rest of the nineties it was just impossible to hear to not hear the rest of these rappers imitate this noise. Um and just the bass lines on the songs. Got that badass gangster feel that thing that 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 shit that just makes you want to get up and you know write a verse of your own or or maybe um or maybe just you know get up and do something. Now I'm not saying that this album is just you know some an album that if you listen to it makes you get up and do something. No 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 no. If this is an album that just makes you spit out a verse, light up a joint, do some gangster shit like. Like, like, beat the shit out of an unsuspecting officer. I'm not saying you should do that, but you should totally do that. Um, yeah, it's, the production is just fucking out of this world. It's revolutionary, all right? And to this day, it still feels revolutionary. And, yeah, that's all I gotta say. But overall, ladies and gentlemen, a 9.5 out of 10. Let me know what you guys think by messaging us on our podcast at timeout underscore with underscore Tony Podcast. You guys think I give it a fair rating? Um <clears throat> I think I did. Well, you know what? I I did. I I feel like I did. Because I gotta say, a lot of the lyricism in here, again. While at the time it would have been the shit to been bumping to, it just some of it just really didn't age well. Especially now in a world where like we got these where we have kids thinking that they're gang members when really they're just a bunch of suburban kids. So it's it's weird. I don't really I really don't know how to feel about that. Anyways, so yeah, do I recommend this album? Yes, especially if you're an active or an avid hip hop listener, you're looking for something uh, something slow something mm, bouncy this is this is this is the type to be listening to um, if you're looking for something lyrical this is a this is the album to listen to if you're looking for something dark hardcore gritty um, this is this is the album to listen to um, uh, yeah, and that pretty much sums it up. Um, uh, I feel like I should, um, take a look at how it was at its legacy, if you will. Now, the album would go on to launch careers of West Coast hip hop artists like Snoop Dogg, Daz Dillinger, Corrupt, Nate Dogg, and Warren G. Doctors, Dr. Dre's stepbrother, all of whom would were pursued successful projects commercial careers the album is widely regarded as the album that redefined the west coast hip-hop demonstrated gangster rap commercial potential as a multi-platinum commodity and established g-funk as the most popular sound in hip-hop music for several years after its release with dr dre producing major albums that drew heavily on his production style the album's success established Death Row Records as a dominant force in the 1990s hip-hop. It has been re-released three times, first as a remastered CD, then as a remastered dual disc with um, enhanced stereo and four videos, and in the 2009 as the Chronic Relit with a bonus DVD containing a 30-minute interview and seven unreleased tracks. The singles Fuck With J-Day and Nothing But A G-Thing are in the best-selling video game, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and on the fictional radio station, Radio Los Santos. Yeah, but let's believe me, we be, we be driving into the streets of Las Venturas, San Fierros, and Los Santos with Nothing But A G-Thing, baby. Yeah. Um. In April of 2020, the album was barely distributed across all major streaming services for some fucking reason. Before that, it was only available on Apple Music as an exclusive since 2015 even then since 2015 the album was on the uh before then it was on streaming platforms in March of 2022 about a month after Snoop Dogg bought Death Row Records the album was removed from streaming services with speculation that he was going to turn the album into nfts however earlier this uh, year in january of 2023 it was reported that as part of a deal with universal music group and shamrock holding for its music assets the masters of the album were said to transfer from death row back to dr dre in august of this year with the masters then being transferred to ung as part of the deal then the following month this month the month of february of 2023 Dr. Dre announced that he regained control of the rights to the album through his company RE Inc. Corp. Sorry, RE Incorporated, and restored the album to streaming services through the album's original distributor, Interscope Records. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Dre, Stupid dog, What the fuck is wrong with you, bro? Why would you do that? Nobody, bro. NFTs aren't gonna last, dude. That thing, that bro. I haven't even heard anybody mention it, NFT in the last six months. Who the? Anyways. Uh yeah, so there's that um as of right now the album is certified 3 times platinum in the US, platinum in Canada and platinum in the UK baby. So that's got to mean something, right? Right? Yeah. Anyways, in terms of a sequel album, um there there wasn't there wasn't really one. Um in 1994, Dre released a compilation album titled Concrete Roots which featured a lot of his early material um, it was eh, it was mildly received not a lot of people said much next he came, uh in 1996 he dropped First Round Knockout another compilation album um, featured featuring a lot of recently produced songs again it didn't really make that much noise it, it was just it was quiet it was It was a a bomb, if you will. Uh, And then late that same year, he dropped The Aftermath, another compilation album, but this time it was released through his new label, Aftermath uh, Entertainment. Um, Because earlier that year, in 1996, he had left Death Row Records due to... um, uh mm, it was disputes if you will it's something that we'll look over later anyways uh yeah it was a uh, it was Wiley receive again and after this people a lot of people just kind of like considered or s- started saying that Dre was falling off and oh he's not going to come back and that that was that was that was ha- That was cap. Obviously, as the story goes, he would meet Eminem in the late nineties and would drop his sophomore effort, two thousand one. Now the title, sorry, now yeah, the album was originally gonna be titled Chronic Two Thousand. However, Sugar Knight released a compilation album titled that from Death Row Records because he wanted to be an asshole to Dr. Dre. So I don't know. I guess gotta make gotta gotta switch it up and in the end he ended up just simply titling sorry he then wanted to title the album chronic 2001 but they, they 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 were gonna they were gonna threaten to sue him again if he didn't trade if he didn't change it uh so dre was just like you know what I'm gonna just title it 2001 oh, we'll just leave it at that all right y'all 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 can all fuck yourselves and uh that album did a lot more numbers than this one. And it was a lot more um accepted, if you will. Um, so you know there's that. But overall, ladies and gentlemen, I think I'm gonna just wrap it up there. Before we go, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys all so much for the support. It means a lot, really. So spread the word, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your brother, tell your sister, tell everybody and feel free to follow us on our Instagram at timeout underscore with underscore Tony Podcast. New episodes every Wednesdays and Saturdays. Thank you guys all so much for listening, and I will catch you guys later this week. Thank you, and don't drink a drive. Okay, show's over. Please get out. Thank you.